The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, we are finishing out a, a series, a long series for the last seven months. We have been started in Genesis 12 and and gone through the life of Abraham. We've spent a, a week on Isaac, a week on Jacob, and today we're going to talk about Abraham's great-grandson Joseph and We've got about 35, 40 minutes to cover 14 chapters, so please pay attention. See, for our church, really through tragedy and through transition, we've been on this journey in the life of Abraham, and we've looked at the God who triumphs in keeping his promises and accomplishing his purposes. And we'll end that today with the story of Joseph. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 37. Joseph had an incredible sense of purpose. He rested in God's providence and he labored toward God's purposes. He rested in God's providence and he labored toward God's purposes. And Joseph was a dreamer. In Genesis 13, or Genesis 37 through 50, there are three sets of dreams that are recorded. The first is in 37. Jacob is with his sons in the land of Canaan. There was Joseph and his brothers. Some of his brothers did some wrong things, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. Now all these sons, these 12 tribes of Israel, through them, Abraham's descendants would become as numerous as the stars in the sky. And through faith in Christ Jesus, you and I would become those descendants of Abraham if indeed your faith is in Christ. But Joseph's brothers... They saw that their father loved him more than any of them, and they hated him. They could not speak peacefully to him. So Jacob loves Joseph. He gives him this robe of many colors, and they hate him. And he's going to tell them dreams that he has that make them hate him all the more. But I've got to tell you what comes to my mind every time I think about this coat of many colors Maybe Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat comes to your mind. Maybe those awful color block patterns that we wore years gone by. When I think about Joseph in the coat of many colors, this is what pops in my mind every single time. This sweater that Will Smith wore on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, I don't know why, but if I'm going to have that image, you can have it with me. So the brothers hated him, and Joseph had a dream, and he told this dream to his brothers. Behold, we were binding sheaves, or these stacks of hay in the field. My sheaf arose and stood upright, and yours bowed to the ground before it. And his brothers said to him, Are you indeed going to reign over us? Are you going to rule over us? We're not going to bow down to you. They hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he had another dream. And he told that dream to his brothers. Behold, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground? And his brothers were all the more jealous, but his father kept the saying in mind. 
So Joseph has these crazy dreams, and his brothers are angry, and he had already given a bad report once to his father. His father tells him, go check on your brothers, and he goes, and he's coming toward his brothers, and they see him, and they hate him, and his brothers devise a plan, and their plan is that they're going to kill him, and they throw him into a pit, and Reuben, one of his brothers, tries to figure out a way to get the brothers to go away so that he can rescue them out. And then Judah, his really, really kind brother, says, listen, he's our brother. We can't kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. And when I read that, I just stopped and said, God, thank you that I only had one sister and no brothers. Let's sell him into slavery. And so they do this. Midianites are coming by, children of Ishmael, and they sell they sell him into the Midianites' hands, and they take him to Egypt. They take him to Egypt, and he's sold into the house of Potiphar, this high-ranking official in Egypt, and he becomes Potiphar's slave. And then there's this interlude where his brother Judah, his brother Judah just has these awful sons, and one who's married to a woman named Tamar, does wickedness in the sight of the Lord and the Lord takes his life and then, then the, she's given to another son and this son does wickedness in the sight of the Lord and the Lord takes his life and, and then Judah should have given her to the next son so that she could have children, but he didn't. And so again, Genesis, the Bible, as you read the Bible, often it tells what is, not what should be. And as it tells the story of the brokenness and dysfunction and sin of Judah's family, Tamar wants a son. She wants to carry on her line. So she disguises herself as a prostitute. She puts a veil over her face and Judah comes and sleeps with her and, and she gets pregnant. And when he confronts her about her pregnancy, she reveals to him that you're the person who did this. He's acted unrighteously. Now, Judah is the line through whom Jesus is going to come. And it's amazing how God works through sinful people. So Joseph then is sold into Potiphar's house. Chapter 39 Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, captain of the guard, had bought him from the Ishmaelites. And then in Genesis 39-2, in the midst of his slavery, in the midst of his difficulty, Joseph points us to Jesus the Messiah. He points us to Jesus the Messiah. That's what's about to happen as he's sold into slavery. And he goes into Potiphar's house. We can already see it a little bit because his brothers have sold him for a few pieces of silver. So there's a son loved by the father that's betrayed for a few pieces of silver. Then he's sold into Potiphar's house. He's in prison. But the story of Joseph is going to point us to Jesus the Messiah over and over and over as it's pointing us to the offspring of Abraham through whom the nations will be blessed. The Lord was with Joseph, chapter 39, verse 2. He was with Joseph and he became a successful man as he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor he found favor in his sight and attended him and made him overseer over all of his house. Potiphar put him in charge of all that he had. And from the time he made him overseer, 
over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And it says that he didn't concern himself with anything in his house except for what he ate. And then it says, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And Potiphar's wife noticed this. And she noticed it again and again and again. And after some time, she began to pursue Joseph. She began to pursue Joseph and say, lie with me. But he would not lie with her. He was a man who had this incredible sense of God's purpose an incredible sense of integrity. And Abraham, who was the father of the faithful, he faltered as much as he had faith. And so did his son Isaac. And so did his son Jacob. But Joseph, it seems, gives us a picture of Jesus and that he is the faithful of the father. He says, no, I will not lie with you. And this story comes to a head when one day she grabs him by the garment and says, lie with me. And he flees and leaves his garment. He runs away, runs out of this house, unclothed and she keeps the garment and she devises a narrative in her head and she begins to tell the men of the house look what this Hebrew has done look what he's done my husband brought him in here and he's laughed at us he came to make sport of me and she even says this to her husband verse 17 of chapter 39 the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us he came in to me to laugh at me but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried he left his garment and when Potiphar heard this this is the way your servant treated me his anger was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything he did because the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So Joseph starts at 17 years old. He goes into slavery and then goes from slavery into prison. And it doesn't really look like his brothers will ever end up bowing down to him. What of these dreams? What will happen? But when he gets into prison... A second set of dreams come. They don't come to Joseph, but they come to two of the people he's in prison with, and he understands the dreams. The two people work for Pharaoh. There is cupbearer and there is baker, but they've done things that displeased him. They're thrown in prison, and the cupbearer has a dream. And in his dream, he says, There are three branches. There are three branches, and the branches sprout up, and he's he's wondering what the dream means. And and they're great branches. There's going to be wine from them. And, and Joseph said, the three branches are three days. And in three days, you're going to be restored to service. But remember me. Remember me. Well, then the baker has a dream. And he has a dream about bread. But in the dream, it ends up the bread is, is in a basket on his head. And the birds of the air are coming to eat the bread. And Joseph says, in three days, you're going to be killed. Your head is going to be taken from you. And three days later... It happened. 
It happened. The cupbearer is restored to his service as Pharaoh throws a party. The baker is killed, but the cupbearer forgot Joseph. And so two more years pass. He's 30 years old. And then we go to chapter 41 and Pharaoh has a third set of dreams. Pharaoh has dreams. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile and behold, by the river, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed on the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly and thin cows ate the plump and fat cows. And Pharaoh went back to sleep. Now, can you imagine what a strange dream. As I was thinking about this dream, I looked at this fat cow and I looked at this thin cow. I looked back at the fat cow, I looked at the thin cow. They basically eat the same thing. And what I thought was that people tell me all the time to stop eating bacon and go on a vegetarian diet. And this really fat cow is a vegetarian. So I'm not doing it. Now, that's got nothing to do with Pharaoh, but I'm telling you, I'm sticking with bacon. <laughs> the thin cows eat the fat cows, and then Pharaoh goes back to sleep, and he has another dream. He has another dream, and in this dream, there are these ears of grain that rise up that are beautiful and healthy. There are seven of them, and then seven ears of grain rise up that are blighted by the wind, and they eat the healthy heads of grain. And Pharaoh doesn't know what to do. He's had a dream and he calls his magicians to come to him and interpret the dream. But none of the Egyptians can interpret the dream. They don't know what the dream is going to be. And so what's going to happen? Can you imagine who might interpret the dream? Who could it be? Well, the cupbearer remembers Joseph. Hebrews 41.12 says, A young Hebrew was with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving the interpretation to each man. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored, and the baker was hanged. And so Pharaoh calls Joseph, and he tells him what these dreams are. And then Joseph understands the dreams. Joseph understands the dreams, and he says the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. God is the one who knows the dreams, and he's revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. There are going to be seven years of abundance in Egypt. The grain is going to grow well, and there's going to be a ton of it. But you need to store it up and you need to save a fifth of it because over these seven years, they're going to be followed by seven years of famine like the world has never seen. And there won't be enough grain to take care of the people of Egypt over those seven years. So store up grain, store up grain. And Joseph says, God has revealed that he's going to bring this about. Verse 32 of chapter 41, the doubling of Pharaoh's dream by God means it's fixed. God will surely bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh set a discerning and wise man over the land of Egypt. Who might this discerning and wise man be? 
Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers of the land. Take a fifth of the produce of the land. Let him gather all the food of these good years that are coming to store up grain under your authority. Put it in the cities and keep it. That food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of famine. Here's Joseph in a foreign land seeking the good of the land he's in. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? And whom is the spirit of God? See, thousands of years ago and today, the world needs people in whom is the spirit of God to be a blessing to the nations. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is no one so discerning and wise. You shall be over my house and over all my people. Only in regards to the throne shall I be greater than you. Pharaoh put his signet on Joseph's finger, his ring with his seal. He had all the authority in the land of Egypt. He was over everyone except Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh says, you're going to ride in the second chariot. And wherever we go, wherever we go before us, the guard is going to say these three words, bow the knee. Those brothers heard those crazy dreams. His father heard that crazy dream. Are we going to bow before you? And through years of slavery and years in prison, the answer was yes. Because God is a God who accomplishes his purposes and God's a God who keeps his promises. Now here's Pharaoh. And if you have been with us in the story of Abraham, we remember when Abraham went down to Egypt in Genesis chapter 12. There was Pharaoh, and he's got this headdress that looks like that of a serpent, and then there's a cobra or a serpent even on the headdress. And it reminded us how in Genesis chapter 3, this serpent king tried to deceive the woman, but the offspring of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. And in Genesis chapter 12... When Pharaoh took Sarah into his harem, if she had stayed in that harem, the offspring of Abraham, the child of promise, would have never been born. But the serpent kings of this world are not sovereign over God because God accomplishes his purposes and God keeps his promises. And he's going to do that. He's going to use Joseph to keep his promises. So here's Joseph. He started in a pit and he ends up the right hand of Pharaoh's throne. And you might wonder, what happened to Joseph's brothers? That would be a great question to ask because chapter 42 tells us what happened. The famine hits and Jacob learns that there's grain in Egypt. So he tells his sons, go down to Egypt. Go to Egypt and buy grain. There's grain there. Go get us some. But I'm keeping Benjamin with me. He's already lost one son in his mind. He's not going to lose another. And so Benjamin is the favored son that he has left. And he sends the brothers to Egypt. So all the brothers go except Benjamin. They go down. And Joseph was the guy in charge of selling the grain. Joseph was the guy in charge of selling the grain. So they go to Joseph, but they don't recognize him. And he was governor over the land. Genesis 42, 6, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. 
he treated them like strangers and said, where have you come from? We come from the land of Canaan. And he says, you're, you're spies to see the nakedness of our land. No, no, we're not. We're 12 brothers and one is no more. They tell him, and, and the youngest is left with our father. And our father has sent us here to buy grain. And so Joseph, Joseph begins to tell them what they can do. He's, he's going to sell them some grain. He's going to sell them some grain, but he says, I want you to leave a brother with me. You leave him with me and go and bring back this youngest son of your father, Benjamin, who Jacob is not going to depart with. You send him back to me. And then I'll let this brother, Simeon, I'll let him go. So he tells them this plan. And in verse 21 of Genesis 42, they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. We saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we would not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. And now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They didn't know that Joseph understood them. And he turned away from them and wept. He came back and he took Simeon and he sent them on their way. And he filled their bags with money. They'd paid for the grain, but he filled their bags back up with money. And they go to their father, Jacob, and they tell him what's going on. It's, it's amazing because at this very moment when they recognize their guilt, redemption for them, salvation for their family is right around the corner. And that's not just the story of Joseph. That's not just the story of his brothers. That's the story of every man when we recognize we recognize our guilt is before the Lord. We're sinners, everyone who has fallen short of the glory of God. But there's redemption for us, not in Joseph, but in the offspring of one of his brothers named Jesus. So Jacob hears it. And he says, I'm not sending Benjamin with you. I've lost one son. I, I can't send another. And then verse 37 of chapter 42, Reuben says to his father, Kill my two sons if I don't bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go with you for his brother is dead. He's the only one left. If harm should happen to him, you would bring my gray hairs to Sheol. I would die. But they explain there's no other way. There's no other way. So Jacob says, you can go. You can go. And then he prays in verse 14 of chapter 43. May God Almighty grant you mercy before this man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. May God have mercy. See, Jacob has seen God Almighty have mercy. He's seen it in him being blessed in spite of being a deceiver. He has seen it when he wrestled with God and walked away. He has seen it when his brother Esau forgave him. May God Almighty, the God of Abraham, may he have mercy. So they go and they tell the steward that is under Joseph's charge, we've come back and by the way, our, our money was in our sacks and we've brought it and we brought more money for grain. And here's Joseph with any opportunity literally to snuff out their lives and Joseph Joseph says in verse 23 of chapter 43, 
Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. You don't need to pay me. God put your money back in your sacks. And God had used Joseph to do that very thing. He'd used Joseph to do that very thing. And so, so he's going to provide grain for them. They're going to buy grain. But then in chapter 44, Joseph decides he's going to test his brother's and he tells those in his charge, we're going to send them out, but I want you to put their money back in their sacks. Now, I want you to put their money back in their sacks and then take my silver cup and put it in the bag of the youngest. That's Benjamin, the son who Jacob loved. It was Joseph's favorite cup. He ordered it off Amazon. It's a 32-ounce Yeti tumbler. It kept things cold. It kept things hot. And he loved it. You put my silver cup in the sack, and when they go away, I want you to go after them. And you tell them, whoever has my cup, one of you have stolen it. It's the cup I use for divination. He belongs to me. He belongs to me. So the brothers leave, and Joseph puts them through this test, and they're caught, and the, the cup is in Benjamin's bag. What in the world are they going to do? Because he's going to keep Benjamin. So Joseph says, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, or Judah rather says, as soon as I come to your, your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol for your servant, became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father. If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back in my place. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I'm going to take his place. I'm going to take his place, take my life instead of his. See, the story of Joseph, you've got Joseph imprisoned. He, he dies, in a sense, for the sins of another, Potiphar's wife. Then his brother says, take the boy's life, take my life instead of the boy's. I'll take his place. There's a substitution being made that points us over and over to this substitute who's going to come, Jesus. Jesus and when Joseph hears it, he can't control himself. Chapter 45 says that he wept so loud that all of Pharaoh's household heard him. Everyone in the house heard him. He's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed. See, the brother who does this is Judah, who had done this evil with Tamar. And God takes perhaps the most selfish person in the story. And turns him in to the most selfless person in the story. And when Joseph hears Judah, he weeps. He weeps. And now the big reveal comes. So he gathers his brothers. Verse 4 of chapter 45. Come near to me, please. And they came near and said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold in Egypt to Egypt. And then in verse five, 
Now, do not be disturbed or be dismayed. Do not be angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Now, can you imagine when they hear, I'm your brother Joseph? I bet this is not the response they were expecting. He's been enslaved, he's been falsely accused, he's been imprisoned, he's been forgotten in prison, and then God has brought him up out of that prison. He's in charge of all of Egypt. And here are these brothers, for the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more. Verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. See, this story of Joseph isn't about Joseph. It's about this remnant. God is going to accomplish his purposes through Jacob's children. And so Joseph is sent ahead to save many lives. So go get your father and bring him back to me. Come here. There's a place for you here with me in Egypt. So Jacob and his family, they go. They're 70 and all. They've got a caravan of U-Haul trailers, and they're moving all their stuff into Goshen in Egypt. See, Joseph sees his brothers at 39 years, and they live there with him in Egypt. And Jacob lives another. 17 years. And then when it's time for him to die, he blesses Joseph's sons and he blesses his sons. And you need to hear what he says to Joseph's sons and to his sons, to Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. He says in verse 16 of 48, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys and let them and or in them, let my name be carried on. Bless these children. Let my name be carried on. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Well, if you fast forward 400 years, Exodus 1-7 says that the children of Israel were multiplying and filling the earth. There wasn't room for them. They had grown so numerous in Egypt, like God promised Abraham. Your offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. See, we can rest in God's providence. We can rest in his providence. And then we can labor toward his purposes because God is a God who keeps his promises and he will accomplish his purposes. And then Jacob blesses his children. Jacob blesses his children. Now, this is the story of Joseph. So you'd think we're going to look at the blessing he gives to Joseph, but we're not we're going to look at the blessing he gives to Judah. Chapter 49, verse 8, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies and your father's sons shall bow down before you. See, one is going to come from Judah who will be the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. And his brothers will bow down before him. Verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. He is going to rule until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. In Abraham's offspring shall all the nations be blessed, and in Judah's son shall be the obedience of the peoples. 
And Judah has this cursed union with Tamar. So Deuteronomy would later say that it would be 10 generations after something like that happened that a king could come. And so you've got Judah, this first generation, and then they have Perez, the second generation, and Perez has Hezron. And then Hezron has Aram, and then Aram has Amenadab, and then Nashon is the father of Salmon, and Salmon and Rahab, they have Boaz, and Boaz has, has Ruth as his wife, and Ruth and Boaz, they have Obed, who has Jesse, and then in that 10th generation, there's this king named David. 10 generations from Judah, and Jesus is the son of David, who will redeem not just Israel, but the whole world, and him, all the nations will be blessed. And see, Joseph believes that God can be trusted. He rests in the providence of God. He rests in the providence of God. And he rests in the providence of God because what people meant for evil, God meant for good. What people meant for evil, God meant for good. Jacob dies, and when he dies, Joseph's brothers saw that their father died, chapter 50, verse 15. And they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive their transgressions, the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him because forgiveness is hard. But then Joseph, he says, do not fear Am I in the place of God? Which is a really strange question to ask because in Egypt, he kind of was. He could have killed them instantly, had them killed instantly, had them cast out, taken their grain away, thrown them into prison, whatever he wanted. But this man of purpose is a man of humility. And he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What you meant for evil, God meant for good, the saving of many lives. His brothers are as good as dead. But he knows God has brought him there to preserve life. You want to know what the story of Genesis tells? It tells this story, what Adam and Eve meant for evil, God meant for good, the saving of many lives. What Joseph's brothers meant for evil, God meant for good, the saving of many lives. And you and I, the Bible tells us, were dead in sin, children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the love with which he loved us, he's made us alive in Christ, for by his grace, we are saved. This is the story of the world. What people mean for evil, God means for good, the saving of many lives. So we can rest in God's providence. Things people mean for evil, God means for good, the saving of many lives. But listen, as we rest in God's providence, we've got to labor toward his purposes. And some of us get to a place in life where, where maybe it's early on or maybe it's our, our kids are out of the house and we're empty nesters. We kind of lose and forget that sense of purpose. Joseph's 56 years old, and he can see as clearly as ever that he's right in the center of God's purposes in a story that's really not even about him. See, Abraham faltered as much as he had faith, and so did Isaac, and so did Jacob, and 
Abraham was the father of the faithful, and Joseph was the faithful of the father. And in as much as he was, he points us to Jesus. See, I love a good ending. I love it in books. I love it in movies. I love it in stories. But the ending of Genesis isn't really an ending at all. It's just the beginning of one story. It's one story. It's got over 40 authors, and it was written over a period of 1,500 years, and there are 66 little stories in the story, but it's one story, and it's the story of redemption of what God is doing in the world through Jesus Christ. So please read the story, and then step into the story. As we rest in God's providence, let's labor toward his purposes. I, th- I thought about Joseph and how he was moved from place to place to place and everywhere he went. There was this sense of God has me here to save lives. God has me here for the preservation of life. He moved into slavery and God was with him. He moved into prison and God was with him. He moved right next to the throne and God was with him. God was with him. I wonder, do we have a sense of purpose that we've been moved into the neighborhood that we're in for the saving of many lives? We got new neighbors. They moved in from out of state. Been so excited. I've been trying to be really, really nice to them, you know, way nicer than I normally am, right? And I'm thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share Christ with my neighbors. I'm going to share Christ with my neighbors. And I walk over the other day, and I was prepared. I'd been praying for about three months, ready to go. And I walk over, and the guy's got a Christian T-shirt on. So, oh, man. <laughs> but praise God for these new neighbors. See, God has put us in our neighborhoods for the saving of many lives. He's put us in the places that we work for the saving of many lives. He's put us among the friends that we have for the saving of many lives so we can rest in his providence and we can labor toward his purposes. See, Joseph said, God sent me here. God sent me here. Mark's going to come and he's going to lead us in a closing song. And as he does, here's what you need to know. God sent you and me here to Central Texas, and he did it for the saving of many lives. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, God, that we can rest in your providence as we labor toward your purposes. And Father, as the children of Abraham through faith in Christ Jesus, God, help us to be asking, Lord, why have you sent me here? Who have you sent me here for? Why am I in my neighborhood? Why am I in my workplace? Why am I in the school I'm in? It's for the saving of many lives through Jesus Christ. So we trust you, Lord. Help us to trust you all the more in Jesus' name.
That's our confession, Lord. What the enemy means for evil, you turn out for our good and you are faithful forever and perfect in love. You're sovereign over us and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.